Welcome to the Living Out Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Steele, and I help people explore possibility to live out the best of who they are. On the podcast, I share stories about social justice, LGBTQ issues, and personal growth as a path to personal evolution to create a more humane world. Well, I want to talk about sticks and stones versus words that hurt in today's episode. I'm sure you've heard the expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I don't know how many times I've heard that, and it comes kind of in this like sing-songy, lyrical, I can clearly see some of the kids saying it, singing it in in the playground or on the playground. I was a little boy. It would have been Catholic school. Couldn't have been more than like, I don't know, grade three, grade four. And certainly that was a time in my life where a lot of words were hurled. A lot of names were sent out there as a, a way to make someone feel bad. And as a little kid, some of that hurt. Some of that sent you home crying to mommy or dad. And We kind of learn a weak form of defense if it's seemingly innocuous enough. But there's a lot more going on here. And over the holidays, I was in a conversation with a group of people, and it was very interesting where it went. And I've been thinking a lot about it, specifically words and the intention behind them. So it started out with somebody saying, oh, it's, you know, so fun that I can say, you know, fag and faggot and gay around you guys, meaning my partner and I, and this person is a straight, white, cis male. And we opened up the dialogue to talk about like, well, what does that mean exactly? And okay, maybe around us, we as gay men can give you permission to perhaps use that word in a joke, but this is a privilege. And even that expression, calling him privileged, set him off and got him upset. So that's the setup for what got me really thinking, because I was trying to make a point, which I couldn't as eloquently as I wanted to, and I didn't want to make this an uncomfortable conversation, which was already a little bit, bit heated, and I just thought, fine, I'm going to think on it. So the intention behind words matter. And, you know, there's something to be said for the more we read, the more we study, and the greater our vocabulary, the the more I think we can have an appreciation that words do matter. But there still may be some other approaches to how we view social justice and, and rights and acceptance and respect for other people within the context of how words can have an impact. And how a word is used will affect the receiver, because communication is not perfect. Language is organic. It's constantly growing. It grows and evolves with its use. And just look at words that have dropped out of usage. Look at the semantics, the semantic word field of what a word can mean, and look at the etymology, the history of a word, how it has evolved over time, and sometimes even radically changed. And I'm going to get to that with the word faggot in just a moment. So words can lift people up, right? We can say things in a way that makes people feel great about themselves. 
but they can also hurt. They can also be painful when they're intended to be demeaning or prejudiced or condemnatory. Words we say to other people could be taken as racist and hateful and bigoted. So the question that was coming up in this dialogue was literally, why, why can't you just take a word at face value? You know, does, does it have to be something that only some people are allowed to say? Why can't I say this word? And this is what this straight man was saying. Why can't I say the word faggot? Why can't I say the N-word? And his next thought was, shouldn't we all just get over it? Well, some people could argue that words are just words. But that's very limited within a dictionary definition. And I would argue that that's someone who is in a situation of privilege. And in this sense, they've, I'm, I'm sure they've experienced some discomfort, some being made feel less than, but they haven't had to experience feeling less than for their sexual or gender identification or feeling less than for the color of their skin or feeling less than if they aren't economically challenged as a simple example. What are the words or the phrases that may not apply to them but could apply to so many other groups of people that lump a group of people into a category that can make them feel less than? I'm reminded of the quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that's true, but, right, we choose as conscious beings who think for ourselves how we want to respond. And if we react, meaning if we're not thinking about what we're doing and we're simply responding, responding in an immediate way, which is a reaction, we may only realize it afterwards. We can look at how we're hurt by words, but we can also, as thinking, intelligent, conscious human beings, consider how we can reframe or understand what this other person is saying so that we ourselves can choose to think differently about it. We can also rise above the hurt and say to this other person that what you're saying and how you're saying it is is not correct, is not respectful, is not empathetic, is not humanitarian. So we can take ourselves out of the reaction to feel discomfort. And that is a choice we can make. But that does not condone the behavior of someone who thinks they can simply use a word that causes hurt for others. A utopian worldview? There would be no harmful words, because there would be no disparity no real otherness, or rather that would be something that would be completely understood as a negative part of our history, and we don't experience that kind of disconnect between one group of people and another. We don't experience this kind of tribalism where one group of people is somehow superior than others. Words isolated have a meaning. And we can look at it almost like a scientific experiment, like, okay, this is where this came from, here's how this evolved. We can look at whether or not that word carries power, depending on who uses it, and how they use it in speech, 
and to whom that word is is directed. So effective communication is based on context or situation and intention. So let's get into the use of the word faggot. Okay, I'm gay. I can use the word fag in a fun and playful way. As an example, my partner has the word fag tattooed on his body as a way of saying, this is my word. I'm reclaiming this word. Just like a lot of black people decide to use the N-word, and even that's contentious. Well, using the F-word, fag and faggot, for a lot of gay men is very contentious, and I understand that. So even in my own community of other gay men, if somebody says, I don't like to be called fag, that's fine. I'm not going to call them that. I'm also not going to use it in a derogatory way towards other gay men. As a gay man, I will use it for myself or for other gay men whom I know appreciate the use of that word as an empowering label, but one that they can only use for themselves and one that they allow other people that they trust and respect to use that in a word, uh, use that in a way that says, you are a proud gay man. You are a proud homosexual. You are a strong, gorgeous, beautiful, empowered faggot. The history of the word faggot has a lot of meanings. I believe originally it meant a bundle of sticks. And so you'll see in older text, they were use, using a faggot of wood to put down and create a bonfire, specifically when they were burning witches in the Dark Ages. It also came into French fagot, meaning a bundle of herbs that are wrapped up and tied with a string and are put into a stock to make a soup stock. And in British English, fag became a cigarette. And then it eventually became a derogatory term, both fag and faggot. And I didn't do my research this time to pull up the the history and the transition of the word, but you can see it's had quite a number of meanings. So just fag on its own, own, we can look at and understand that it has had a history. Now, if we turn that into an expression and somebody says, you're a fucking faggot, the meaning of that expression is entirely clear. The intention behind that expression is powerful, it's triggering, it's damaging, it's hateful, it's homophobic. What we're getting out of that is certain modalities of communication, like tone. You can't see me right now, so you could only hear me express that tone, right? If I were standing in front of you, and I were maybe a six-foot-four, built-like-a-football-player, angry, and known to be hot-headed straight male talking to a petite gay male who might be 125 pounds and five foot six, and says, you're a fucking faggot, that physical posturing, that body language, that tone, and all of that language creates fear. Now, if we go back to that expression from Eleanor Roosevelt and say, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent, well, that person on the receiving end might not feel inferior because they know what that word means to them, but they might be scared out of their fucking wits and concerned for their own mortality and simply run. 
And that's the power of words to hurt right there as an example. Those words come first, but are connected to physical expression, body language, to tone, which is also a body language, how we use our voice, and a creation of power. But we also have memes or mimetic theory. And memes are habits, skills, songs, stories, or any other kind of information that is copied from person to person. And I'm quoting Susan Blackmore here, who's one of the uh, chief researchers on mimetic theory at the moment, continuing with quoting her, memes like genes are replicators. That is, they're information that is copied with variation and selection. Because only some of the variants survive, memes, and hence human culture, evolve. Memes are copied by imitation, teaching, and other methods, and they compete for space in our memories and for the chance to be copied again. Large group of memes that are copied are passed on together, are called co-adapted meme complexes or memeplexes. So, that might be getting a little bit uh, confusing there, but in the simplest form, memes are replicated and they show up. You know, you, you look on Instagram, you look on Twitter, and you see these these pictures, and it's, it's the most base form of a meme. Even emoticons are a kind of a meme. But we're talking about the larger cultural transferred units in habits, skills, songs, and stories. <clears throat> so let me give you an example of a meme in the form of a popular song from the 1980s. Now, due to the very catchy guitar riffs and the sing-along lyrics, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits made it okay for heterosexuals and most likely men to repeatedly sing as if it was somehow less offensive and thus condone the repeated use of the derogatory word faggot. And here's the lyrics. See the little faggot with the earring and the makeup. Yeah, buddy, that's his own hair. That little faggot got his own jet airplane. That little faggot, he's a millionaire. Now, what would have happened had Dire Straits written those same lyrics, but about a black man and used the N-word? That song would have never reached airplay, let alone get published. Or if it did for some reason, Dire Straits would have been broken up as a band. They would have never been able to play another song again. And yet this came up in 2011 as a, a problematic song with problematic lyrics. And yet no one sees that the power of a straight man creating a song for popular media, which became, I don't know if it was a top 10 or certainly in the top 100, a song that made fun of gay men. That was okay. That was okay. And that is a product of memes. That song was repeated and sung over and over and over by so many people, including me. I kind of heard it in the 80s, but wasn't thinking about it too much, and I sung it. Does that have an impact? Well, yes. Because I remember being a little uncomfortable about it, but I wasn't thinking about it enough. Because that was part of the status quo and the worldview when I was in my late teens, early 20s. Because I think the song came out maybe in 82 or 83. 
Other people were using that in their daily language. I saw things like this in television to some way, shape, or form. They might, have, might not have been saying faggot, but the context existed. The gays were somehow less than. So let's take this to two more levels of intensity. Let's take this a little hotter. Have you ever heard a straight man say, that guy is such a cocksucker? Now, his intention is meant to be an insult. It's not that he's saying he wants that guy to come over and suck his dick. And he is 99.9% highly unlikely indicating that a other person he is complaining about is gay. But the phrase, which is a meme, is derogatory. It's meant to indicate a lack of power and a lack of status quo masculinity to the point that the other person being spoken badly against is equated with being a sissy, a less than a man, forced to be on his knees in a subservient position to suck and most likely another straight man's cock. Because there really isn't any intention in this expression over the 50 years I've heard it of someone saying, that guy is such a cocksucker of gay guys. No. It's not even meant to presume gayness or homosexuality. It's meant to presume that the person being spoken badly about is less than a man. And that is homophobia. That a man isn't man enough. That a man is too much like a woman. Because a woman is supposed to suck cock, not a man. In status quo, binary, straight, male, straight woman ideology. Now, you know, it just came to me. There isn't an expression similar that women use against other women. I don't think I've ever heard anything like, well, that bitch is such a carpet muncher. Or that girl or that woman eats vagina. I've, I've never heard anything like that. Maybe it happens, but I don't think it happens anywhere near the extent that straight men will use this in a derogatory language to indicate their power, their betterness over someone else. This example of language use is just another example of how our choice of words matter, and they matter immensely. This cannot be denied. What words communicate and what we intend says a lot about what we believe, how we see the world, and how we see ourselves in relation to other people and the world around us. Now, the most extreme form of words matter when they result in murder. Matthew Shepard might be alive today if the men, if the two men who killed him could have had an open dialogue about the words they were using, the stories they were hearing, the memes that they were repeating. And how that all led to the most extreme forms of violence. Of course, there were many other issues happening in the lives of these two 21-year-old men who brutally assaulted Matthew Shepard and left him for dead, tied up against a fence. 
but when we allow people to believe that words don't matter, or that words don't hurt, that things can't escalate from a dire straight song to singing about a faggot, to the next person saying, that guy's a fucking cocksucker. This is what can happen when it goes to the worst form of the extreme. And quoting from the original story in People magazine, Police say Shepard was beaten with the butt of a .357 Magnum pistol as they drove to a remote bluff east of town where they tied Shepard to a buck fence and as he pleaded for his life, bludgeoned him, stole his wallet and black patent leather shoes and left him for dead. Some 18 hours later, UW freshman Aaron Kreifels took a spill on his mountain bike outside of town. Standing up, he saw what he thought was a scarecrow hanging on a fence until he noticed the human hair. He is quoted as saying, I realized, oh my God, it's a person, recalls Kreifels. Hospitalized in Fort Collins, Colorado, Shepard died five days later from his head injuries. We all need to think. Critically and consciously before we speak. I've talked about this in the sense of going into the gap in a few episodes ago, especially in the sense of where I belong as a gay man in society, finding that space between reaction and action, just taking that moment to consider that our words have power, not just the words as written down on a piece of paper, but the intention behind them, the impact that our words can have upon the receiver. And we need to be ready to listen when others tell us that our words hurt or offend. Standing up and getting all belligerent and upset, it's like, well, it shouldn't matter. It does. Words matter. And it's not always a matter of right or wrong. Sometimes someone takes offense, and it's complicated. And we need to have a dialogue, and we need to have a discussion. Because we're on this spectrum right now, where things are going a little too far to one end, and people are reacting a little too much to things. And it is getting a little silly in some instances, and I'm sorry I don't have an exact example to give you. However. Words do matter. As does education, as to how we understand what we're saying, as does the respect that we need to give each other in communication. There's often misunderstanding when we speak and how someone else interprets what we're saying. They may have other things on their mind, and maybe they're sort of listening, and so that's the problem of one-on-one communication, we may not always be present or attentive. But sometimes there is a clear intention to hurt by the person saying what they're saying or writing what they're writing. But given that our language is how we communicate and everything comes from that, our body language, our tone, our stories, our songs, our memes, we can either consciously choose division or we can choose harmony 
And for 2019, what's your choice? Thank you for listening. I know today's episode was perhaps unexpected in the direction that it took and it got more serious, but these are important issues that we need to be discussed. And even more so, I think, from a personal perspective, this may have been difficult conversation or or topics for some of you listening because there are words that trigger and we do need to understand those trigger words and to our own betterment and, and personal growth to discover how we can manage those reactions so that we can have control of ourselves and our responses in difficult situations and difficult conversations. So if you've enjoyed today's episode or any other episode, please share it on your favorite social media channel. And if you're listening on iTunes, give me a five-star rating or leave a comment. As always, please leave a note or feel free to ask me a question on the episode webpage on my blog at darrensteel.com. And feel free to support the podcast. A lot of time, sometimes research and preparation goes into putting these podcasts together. And I hope that it has an impact. I hope that it helps you think more critically, more queerly about how you can live out the possibilities of being the best of who you are and how you can have an impact to make the world a better place. As always, thanks for listening and I'll speak with you next time.